Lord God, we thank you that you're a God who keeps speaking because sometimes we can be very dull. And so, Lord, we thank you that you always have a word for us. <laughs> thank you, Lord, that people in the room today have made themselves available to hear that word. All the people online today have made themselves available to hear from you today. And so, Lord, we just position ourselves. We just um, position ourselves with an open heart and an open mind, knowing that you're a God of love and you have our best interests at heart. So whatever you want to say to us today will bring life, will bring freedom, will bring fruit. And so we surrender. Um, even before we hear the word, Lord, I challenge us to surrender um, to that word today. In Jesus' name, amen. No pressure. <laughs> Morning, church. You all good? Any kingdom people in the room? Does your local community know that? Just saying. Sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Listen, I want you to stand with me. We're going to, um, we're going to pray for Ukraine and for Russia. I say and Russia because from what we're gathering already, there's a lot of Russian people who aren't interested in what Vladimir is doing. In fact, there's a whole platoon of guys who were sent, or might have been women too, a platoon of soldiers were sent to the border of Ukraine and they surrendered to the Ukrainian army because they said, we, don't, we didn't know we were supposed to come and kill people. So we're praying for two nations today, okay? Though missiles rain from the sky this morning, Lord, rain down your mercy. Though black smoke rises, our prayers rise higher and surer and greater. Though explosions shatter and gunfire rattles, we hold our ground in the face of pain and we move toward the suffering, our hands reaching with bold solidarity. It's a scary prayer. Ours is a tired world, Lord, weary of suffering, weary of the dark, weary of all the heartbreak. Ours is a tired world, weary for hope. Raise us up with the indomitable certainty that this world is a broken one and you alone are our unwavering hope, King Jesus. Lord, hear our cry. Comfort children who cry terrified. Give courage to mothers who gather to calm. Strengthen leaders who stand steady to go find a way to peace. For those who need to flee, may they find the arms of a safe haven. For those who are hungry, may they find open hands offering bread for today and living bread for all eternity. And for all those who despair in Ukraine, in Russia and on the New South Wales Central Coast, may they find amongst your people the hands and feet of King Jesus. And we ask that you will equip us all to be his very body of peace in a hurting world today. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It'll come as no surprise to you that I didn't create that prayer out of my own heart, but I certainly warmed to it. I think it was on Facebook. Did anyone else see it on Facebook? It was there. And I thought, man, that... That goes to the gut of what we feel for these nations. And it's not the first war, it's the, not the first conflict in human history, it's one of many thousands. Ukraine has 43,300,000 odd 
people and its population, about twice, roughly twice the size of Australia in population. A large percentage of the Ukraine would identify as Christians. That's including the Orthodox faiths. But there are a lot of people in there and whether we come up with a, a really impressive percentage of Christians in Ukraine or not, Ukrainian people are people. So we don't pray for them because we've got brothers and sisters over there. We pray for them because they are people with kids and aunts and uncles and grandkids and all of those men from 18, uh, what, eight, 18 to 60 have got to leave their families, walk out the door and pick up a rifle and go and fight. Horrible. I'm getting off the track. And one of the, the fourth point about a good sermon is it's brief, right? <laughs> hey, Andrew gave you about a third of what I've got down here. The uh, kids' time also gave us something that's sort of related. And Marty also said some good stuff. So I want to talk today, um, just in fairly general terms, about Vladimir Putin, Marty Robinson, <laughs> Natasha, also known as Natalia Edwards, and Paul Hogan. <laughs> what the? <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's the only thing that I want to draw from that Paul Hogan grab. All right? I remember years ago when the Olympic Games were held in Moscow. For a season, we were fascinated with the unique beauty and the culture of this huge land called Russia. Some people would remember it. The scenery was spectacular. The theme song was catchy. You remember the theme song? Moscow, Moscow. Oh, that was a perfect rendition, by the way. You know. But it was catchy and it made you want to dance and it wanted to make you learn how to do that thing with the knees bent. And hutcha, hutcha, hutcha. I, my knees couldn't handle that now. And they probably never could. And it was a reminder that regardless of differences in philosophy and in government, people are people. All are in need of a sense of belonging and security. And it created a desire in a lot of people to visit that unique land. We became fascinated with Russia at that time. We thought, man, I wish we'd bought tickets to go to the Russian Olympic Games. Vladimir Putin, on the other hand, would rather use military force to bring other nations under his leadership. So I just want to ask you a simple question. Which do you think is more helpful in persuading people, force or fascination? Force or fascination? As followers of Jesus, we're all part of a kingdom. And Matthew records quite a significant number of illustrations or parables which illustrate um, from Jesus what this kingdom is like. Just yell out one of the parables, not the whole thing, just, just the idea, the concept of one of the parables about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like, like a sower who goes to sow seed. Yep. Treasure in the field, a pearl. Yep. Anything else? The lost son. The lost sheep. The lost coin. See? 
There are heaps of things that describe a kingdom of which we are now a part, if you say you follow Jesus, which is countercultural to what the world operates on. The value system of the kingdom runs headlong into some of the values of the world. A lot of them are the same. No one's going to knock love, for example. No one's going to knock peace. No one's going to knock healthy, wholesome relationships. But the reality is this kingdom that we are a part of is counterculture to what the world is currently experiencing. Here's a really concise definition of what we are called to be and the mission we are called to commit to as kingdom people. It comes from a fellow called David Bosch, who's a South African missiologist. He said, and get this, you could easily memorise this. I'll say it twice and then I'll leave it, but it's good. He says this, the mission of God's people is to alert everyone everywhere to the universal reign of God through Christ. Second time, the mission of God's people, that's you and I, is to alert everyone everywhere to the universal reign of God through Christ. So what's that mean? How the heck, how the heck do we do that? Alerting everywhere, everyone everywhere. You recall a time when uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, you've got to get his name right, it's Abednego, not Abendigo. Abendigo is in Victoria. Abednego, just think a bed. Me go, and you got his name, all right? A bed, knee go. So don't misquote those names anymore, okay? So there they were in captivity, in exile in Babylon, and Daniel was there too. And they're saying, Our God reigns, and they're slaves. Can you imagine the people in Babylon going, Yeah, right, your God reigns? No, 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 no. But the thing was, Despite the chains they had on them or the restrictions they had on them, they knew that their God, the true God, Yahweh, reigned and ultimately are accountable to him. And it was not force of the Jewish faith that made an impact on King Nebuchadnezzar. It was the fascination that he saw that, that, in, that grabbed his heart about the way they lived. Daniel, not worrying about praying with an open window to the God, the true God. And so he gets thrown to the lion's den, you know the story. And ultimately the king gave him status in that government. He gave him a key position because of the fascination he had for what these people, these Jewish people, were saying about the true God. Force or fascination. Friends, it's so easy to get caught up in all the confusion and divisiveness that seems so commonplace today, right now, which can feel very destructive to our spirits. It can get you down if you let it. It seems that we need to take some time again to rediscover our purpose and simplify our focus. Now, I think personally, Longevity does a good job of nailing it when we say we're here to love, love, and to love. That's it. Pretty simple, pretty basic. It involves being Jesus or being, as Marty so very cleverly enunciated this morning, 
atmosphere changes. He said, oh, I'm an atmosphere changer. Good on you, Marty. People just can't get past that beard. They go, whoa, that's a beard. That is a beard. Oh, no, Wayne, stay out of the clubs, mate. That's your Achilles heel. Look it up. Okay. Shane Claiborne is the uh, founding member of a, a group called The Simple Way, a group of very committed Christians committed to social justice in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. He said this, We need to put our main focus on trying to live in a way, get a hold of this, live in a way that truly reflects our faith and ripples will just naturally follow out of that. It'll create fascination. People may not ever come to Christ because you hit them over the head with the Bible or share the gospel, your four spiritual laws or whatever, or whatever it might be, and that's all legit. And some people have a natural evangelism gift that enables them to do that. No apologies, and people respond, okay? A lot of us don't. But all of us have what was suggested this morning. Someone, yeah, was talking about the Holy Spirit enables us. That's our secret weapon. He is our secret weapon. Those Christians who have lived out their Christianity so beautifully have fascinated the world with God's love. To quote Mother Teresa, they give off the fragrance of Jesus by the way that they live. Is that what your life looks like wherever you go? Incidentally, she was a great example of that, wasn't she? Unfortunately, it seems that Christianity has become less and less fascinating to a lot of people because so often our lifestyle does not reflect the things we say we believe. That's not good. In fact, it isn't often that different that it creates any degree of fascination. Just like, yeah, whatever. You go to church. What will it take to create fascination? Should we not then be living questionable lives? Now, let me explain that a little because I don't want you to be questionable, but it's possible to be living a life that is so counterculture, so different to what the world would say is okay and acceptable that it begs questions. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? So you live a questionable life And that's the hook, that's the opportunity that the Holy Spirit needs to sow seeds and bring the kingdom of Jesus in. You with me? Not a lot of enthusiasm there about that. In Luke 24, you remember the two guys on the road to Emmaus. Jesus has been crucified and as far as a lot of people know, he's dead. Two of the disciples are walking to Emmaus and another traveller walks beside them, begins walking beside them. And he's basically saying, how come you're so sad? What's your problem? If you're happy, you should tell your face. So they were not looking particularly happy. And while they're walking, he's reminding them of the scriptures that say the Messiah will rise from the grave. And they still didn't realise it. 
But later on, when it's revealed to them, after the meal, that it was actually Jesus walking with them, they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he spoke with us? In other words, there was something fascinating about this person that was drawing them in and they're going, not sure who it is, but man, I feel something in my spirit about what he is saying. Let me read you from Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are before a council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law because they dared to preach the gospel. They dared to proclaim Jesus as Lord. And Peter says, well, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Because they'd healed this guy, right? Or God had healed this guy. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to you, all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Is there any wonder they're getting dragged before this court? The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also, get this, they also recognised them as men who had been with Jesus. There was a fascination in how they presented themselves and how they spoke and what their lives were saying that bared witness to this truth. They had been with Jesus. And this is people who are critics and they're about to throw them into jail, they're saying, they've been with Jesus. How do you know? I can just tell. You know, when someone comes home and they're in love, <laughs> I met this girl. Oh, really? Could never have guessed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's nothing serious. There's nothing serious. She's just... You just know when they've been with this person who is becoming, becoming very special to them. Have you? Thank you, Wayne. Been married 52 years, mate. Heading for 53 this year. It's been well said that a crisis never made any man. So think about Peter and John again. It only reveals what he already is. In this case, the crisis of their arrest revealed the truth about Peter and John. The religious leaders couldn't figure it out. They couldn't deny the healing. They couldn't deny their boldness. Why were they not intimidated? How then would they explain these men? How could these uneducated, ordinary fellows, the hoi polloi, these common folk, make such an impact why were they not intimidated by their arrest? How could they dare to speak so freely? What was their secret? When the religious leaders considered all of these facts, they came to one simple conclusion. They had been with Jesus. Fascination. 
The no fact, friends, followers of Jesus in the room with me, no fact is more important for our consideration today. All around us we're seeing signs of the diminishing impact of Christianity on our culture. We wonder why Christians have lost our influence in society. I think this verse offers us a very clear answer. They took note that they had been with Jesus. Does that happen in your circle of friends and contacts? Not an intentional program, strategy, plan, mission statement or force. Simply fascination. Can we run the first of those clips? Thanks, Justin. It's a girl called Kelly Clark. She's a gold medal Olympic snowboarder. She wasn't participating this year, but I think it started in 2002. She won a gold medal. Kelly Clark. Let's hear what she has to say. And I went out to the contest that afternoon and um, I made it, made it in the finals and I was standing at the bottom of the event and this girl had come down. She had fallen in both of her runs and she was crying because she wasn't going to make finals. And her friend, like I was just standing there and her friend just like wanted to get, like cheer her up. Like they didn't even really know I was standing there listening. <laughs> and she said, hey, like it's all right. God still loves you. Like you're going to be fine. And... um something about that statement stirred something in me. Yes. And I, I couldn't even like identify or articulate like what that was, but something about that statement just struck me. And I thought, God, like if God loves her, maybe, maybe God will love me. And I thought, well, there's probably Bibles in hotel rooms, right? Like, I'm going to go back to my hotel room and see if I can get a Bible on the night side table and see what that's about. And so um, I picked that up, and it's like King James, and I'm just like, no idea what to do what with it. <laughs> yeah. And um, I found out that that girl who made the comment, she was staying in my hotel. It's like the team hotel for the event. And so I went, and I knocked on her door, and I said, hey, my name's Kelly. Um, and keep in mind, I'm the current gold medalist. Like everybody knows who I am, but I'm like, Hey, my name's Kelly. I think you might be a Christian. And, um, I was wondering if you could tell me about God and she's just like, Whoa. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> come on in. Like it's, I mean, imagine somebody doing that, just knocking on your door. like, Hey, I think you might be a Christian. Can you tell me about Jesus? And, um, and it was cool because I, I knocked on the right door that day. Like I, I don't know if I'd ever really met a Christian before. Um, but I, the idea and the impression that I had about what that was, was that it was about being good. It was about going to church and following a bunch of rules. Okay. Like that's basically the extent. The second one. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Matt. I'll just get a glass of water. You know, up until that point in my life, I hadn't been in one spot like for more than three weeks for maybe like five years or something. Wow. And I just kind of rambled through life and was training and competing and traveling and whatever. Um, but I got plugged into a local church in Mammoth, California, where I was living at the time. And it was awesome. Like, I also started meeting people there who cared about me for who I was, not what I did as well. That community part was a huge kind of block for me that really contributed to my career. Um, and I was in Mammoth, like 
all spring, all summer, and I was heading back. This would have been 2005, 2006, somewhere in there, heading back into um, <clears throat> my competitive season. And I thought, oh, man, how am I going to do this? Like, I feel like a different person. I have a different value set than I used to have. Um, what am I going to tell people? Like when I don't party, when I am different, when I have a different value set, like, how's that going to work? Like, and I was pretty nervous to, to go back into my community at that point. And there's this old, um, <clears throat> I think it's by this band called the worship circle, this old worship, um, song that we used to sing in that church. And, and it had this line in it, um, that said, I cannot hide my love. Mm. And I was in worship one day, like right before I went back to start my season. And I just heard that line and I just had this impression from God that he was saying, Hey, like your love for me, isn't going to be something you have to prove to people. It's not going to be have, it's not going to be something that you have to defend or argue. Mm. It's going to be something that you can't hide. Mm. And in that moment, I just had the courage to go back and, and do what, go where I needed to go with that encouragement, knowing that that was what God had done and it. And it didn't have to be some huge thing that rested on my ability to communicate well. Um, and my friend had this sticker company and I, I went to him and I said, Hey, I had this thought, could you print me up some Jesus stickers and could you print me up this phrase that says, I cannot hide my love. And he's like, totally. And in snowboarding, we put stickers all over our equipment. And so I got all my normal stickers on there and I just put that one right on the top. And, and honestly, it wasn't to like tell people about Jesus or anything. It was so I could look down and just be encouraged by what God had said. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Fascination. What's the key that's going to unlock this magical attraction force? Jesus said this, By this shall all people know that you are my disciples, if you, if you have love for one another. In the early church, Tertullian tells us that pagans were struck by the witness of Christian love. See how they love one another. It had its own appeal. It had its own attraction, its fascination. I wonder how many people look at us and our lifestyle and say the same. Maybe they do, and that's great. Certainly for an atmosphere changer like Marty and many other people, to be fair. How are we going to do this? Again, is it a special formula? Is it a strategy? Should we come up with a, a plan and write out some rules for it and then people can get those rules from and say, this is how you become fascinating. <laughs> More makeup? Nah. Less makeup, please. What's it going to take 
for people to be fascinated by the way we live counterculturally, the way we uh, live by a set of rules that doesn't always make sense, but we stick with it and we believe it, just like Daniel did and Shadrach, Meshach and a... That bloke. <laughs> How can we truly embrace it? This conspiracy to love people, this commitment to doing life based on an alternative set of values. Friends, I didn't mention Paul Hogan because someone else yelled out these famous lines, throw another shrimp on the barbie. It was an attempt to make Australia fascinating and it worked. A lot of people have been to Australia since then and thought, where's Paul? I've got to meet Crocodile Dundee. Where is he? No, they don't. They realise it was just a character. But it made Australia a fascinating place, as the Olympics in Moscow made Russia a fascinating place. Marty is a fascinating person. Natalia in the room today, Natasha? She's on a plane to Russia. Wow. She's of Russian descent, for those who don't know. I'm sure she loves her country. And if she wanted to persuade you to go to Russia, you wouldn't, she wouldn't say, well, we've got Vladimir. <laughs> oh, I, think, I think the guy's a rat bag. Forgive me, Natasha. I don't know. Um, yeah. I'm certain that the people of Russia are not with him in heart. Thousands are demonstrating already against Russia's involvement. And these are Russian people and Russian supporters all around the world saying, he's a nutbag. He's worse than that. He's a dangerous man. The horrible truth is, friends, we can't emotionally, socially or spiritually do this. It's beyond us in our natural state. We all have baggage of some kind, right? Well, there's about five honest people in the room. We all have baggage of some kind. It, it, might, be, it might be our upbringing. It might be disastrous relationships. It could be abuse. It could be addiction. It could be consequences of bad choices. But there is damaged stuff in all of us. So acknowledging this hard truth brings us back to our knees at the foot of a rough old crucifix on a hill outside Jerusalem, does it not? It was where a young Jewish man, 33 years old, Nate's what, you're 30 this year, are you Nate? Jesus was 33, he was 30, your age when he started his ministry, 33, three years later, he was hung on a cross for Nate and me and billions of others, in fact, for the whole world, as John 3.16 reminds us. He put his personal comfort aside and embraced what was needed for the whole human race to be repaired from the inside out. That hellish place was called Calvary. What happened there paid the price in full. That was what was written above his head, tetelestai, paid in full. He didn't just contribute to our healing, did a few good things or gave us a, a plan or a mission statement or a couple of strategic steps. He put his life on the line and suffered and went through extreme agony because God poured out all of his wrath against your sin and mine on his own son. 
Can't imagine that, can you? If you're a dad or a mum. What happened there paid the price in full to equip each of us to be vessels of love, grace, mercy and compassion. And just leave me, I'll leave you with a, hopefully something you can take away. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you, right? So we are sent people. Could I suggest we are also sent, S-C-E-N-T, people. That people might catch a bit of the fragrance of Jesus, catch the aroma of what it means to be a redeemed person who belongs to a kingdom that no longer agrees with a lot of the stuff that goes on in this world. We are sent people, S-E-N-T, and we are S-C-E-N-T, people. We can do that. The kids' time, they're trying hard, kicking that ball, trying to get the goal. Then they had help. With God, all things are possible. You can do it. You can be the influence. You can be the atmosphere changer right where you live, where you work, people in relationship with people you know, whether you agree with their way of living or not, just be a neighbour. Make them a cake, make, some, make a meal for them, do something. And that's not the answer, but it's a start for them to go, why are you doing this? Not force, but fascination is what will bring the kingdom of God to the lives of people who are in your world. As the band sings this, which says Calvary covers it all, just remember this. The price is paid in full. You can be an influence. You can be the atmosphere changer. You can be the aroma of God wherever you go. So think about that. And if there's a response you need to make today, there is plenty of opportunity. It's not that late. If you've got a roast on, it'll be fine. Does anyone have roast on Sundays anymore? Just think about this. This moment, this next few minutes, could make a difference in how you live your life and the influence that you make on others for good and for their salvation. Please use the mercy seat or just stand where you are, whatever it takes to respond to God's prompting so that you too can be the saint of Jesus. Praise God.